Good morning. This is Attorney Vincent Davis. You're on live with the show, Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of this show is to educate parents and relatives, or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of this show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning. It's Saturday, February 4th, 2017. It's 8 a.m. here in Southern California. It's a beautiful Saturday morning. Uh, Over the past few weeks, I've been getting uh, uh, several emails that have asked me to take less calls and give out more information. And I really want to, you know, for me personally, I really like like the calls. I enjoy hearing people's uh, stories and uh, answering their questions. But today I'll try to change the format up a little bit and take less calls and try to give out more information uh, with respect to the purposes of this show. So I'm going to try to stick to that outline and uh, starting with the third purpose of the show uh, is to remind people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box. So um, what I have done is um, I am enlisting a person that's going to help me um, keep track of uh, people who can register to vote and organize to vote in their particular counties here in California. Uh, And I think that it might branch out as well to other states. Um, But in California, as in many states in this country, um, you know, people can vote in political candidates that will advance their position. We saw that just happening uh, with our recent national election with the election of Donald Trump as president. But even at a more local level, we can affect change by voting in or voting out judges who are or are not family friendly. Um, I have been appearing in front of one judge uh, here in this county um, and the person is a fairly new judge uh, doing juvenile cases and um, I'm getting the impression uh, that this judge supports uh, heavily supports the Department of Children and Family Services. So I, I don't know much about this judge's background, um, but uh, if there was a re-election and it was, I had the opportunity to vote, I probably would not vote for this judge and I would vote for uh, a candidate uh, running against this judge. And um, hopefully that candidate also would be uh, family friendly. So what someone suggested to me to do is to try to keep track of uh, juvenile dependency judges and, uh, you know, when they're coming up for re-election in their different counties. And uh, although I go to a number of counties in California, I'm not intimately familiar with each judge uh, that I practice in. And, you know, in some counties I hear, oh, yeah, judge, this judge is a great judge. And in other counties, you know, I'll hear, oh, this judge is a, you know, is a terrible judge with respect to um, making decisions for families in juvenile dependency court. So um, the ultimate power we have as citizens here in these United States, including California, is that we have the power to vote. And in California, we have the power to vote judges in and judges out at the state court level. So what I'm hoping to do is um, ultimately I want to start a website. And there are a few websites out there that uh, some of them are actually pretty good that actually keep track of judges and judicial performance. Um, And not a lot of people know about them. So if you want to just Google them, um, you can find these websites and you're allowed under the First Amendment to post at these websites and, you know, to give your opinion about a particular judge. And by the way, not all the comments are negative. Um, There are some comments I've seen uh, regarding uh, judges that are are very positive. 
you know, and uh, and there are a lot of negative comments as well. People vo- uh, voicing their opinion. Um, I, you know, it's easy to make a negative comment about a judge when you don't win the case. So, fifty percent of the people that appear in front of judges are always going to be unhappy um, because somebody's going to lose the case. But in juvenile dependency cases. Um, Usually there's two, maybe three sides to a case, uh, a parent side, uh, the minor side, because they're represented by their own attorney, and the side of um, the Department of Children and Family Services or Child Protective Services, uh, who represents uh, the social worker who's usually prosecuting the case against uh, the parents or the family. So... Um, I think that if we develop a website that can track judges and perhaps get people out to vote in those particular counties when those particular judges are coming up for re-election or election, um, I think people with their vote can have a positive impact on the outcome of uh, of the whole judicial, excuse me, the whole juvenile dependency judicial process in children's courts. So um, anyone that is interested in helping me um, move forward with this website and this movement to uh, elect or re-elect or to vote out judges uh, at the trial court level and juvenile dependency courts all over the state of California, please contact me and I'm going to give you an, an email address you can send it to and just put in the subject line uh judicial elections judicial elections in the subject line and uh, write to me at um v as in vincent at vwdlaw.com that's v as in vincent at vwdlaw.com i'll get these emails i'll um pass it forward to the person that's going to be helping me in this endeavor, and we can start this from basically a grassroots movement. And uh, uh, I'm sure that a lot of you who listen to this show aren't happy with what's going on in the juvenile dependency system. seems to be a movement that's been, you know, coming up slowly over the last maybe 20 years, 25 years in California, and people are really getting sick and tired of what's happening in the juvenile dependency court. Every once in a while, I represent people who, you know, the last person you'd ever think to be involved in a juvenile dependency case, and they tell me something like, you know, I had heard people complaining about social workers and juvenile judges, but I never thought... Um, it was serious. I never thought, you know, um, uh, that these things were actually going on because, you know, only child abusers end up in juvenile dependency court. Only child abusers or drug addicts get their children taken away. And um, when you're actually involved in this and you're, um, you know, you've never been involved in this type of situation before, a lot of times uh, you're shocked at what's really going on. Recently, I won't say the county, but recently I represented someone in Southern California in a juvenile dependency case. And they happened to be the father of the children who had been divorced from the mother. And the CPS social workers filed a case against the mother in uh, juvenile court. And uh, the father didn't know anything about it. He was basically a weekend dad, but um, he was given custody of the children temporarily while the case is proceeding against the mom. And and, and we had a conversation recently, and he shared with me that, um, you know, he didn't like the mom. they never got along when they were married. They had a contentious divorce. Uh, he wanted more custodial time uh, with the children, but he had nothing to do with the reporting of the mom with the alleged child abuse. And, and we've had several hearings, and he's been to court. Uh, he's informed me that, uh, in his opinion, it's a. Uh, I'm trying to quote him. 
basically he said it was a it, it's a crime the way they're treating the mom with respect to these so-called allegations um and he said you know he told me hey i've known the woman for years you know we were married and we dated before that and i know her character he says most of the stuff there's no way i really believe it deep down in my heart when i think about it but what they're saying about the mom and the kids and you know he's not supposed to talk to his children about it but you know the kids are missing their mom and you know uh he you know he's kind of beside himself because he doesn't know what to do social workers telling him one thing and he's like listening and you know and uh but he knows the mom he knows her family and uh he he thinks and he's you know he's against the mom he'd like he wants to keep his daughter's custody but he thinks it's just a travesty of justice what's happening to the mom in this particular case so um you know there's a lot of people that complain there's a lot of people uh that uh right on the internet uh, about their complaints. But the true thing, if you're very serious about making a change, the one thing that you can do is you can vote. You can vote to change the laws. You can vote to um, vote out judges or vote in family-friendly judges. So this is you know, the thing that I want to organize. This is the thing that I want to do. Um, and uh, make people's voice heard uh, in juvenile dependency court and so that they will have an impact on the types of laws that are out there in our state or in each state nationwide and make an impact on the people that are actually making the decisions with respect to juvenile court judges. Um, I'll tell you a short story. Several years ago, I did a case in juvenile court with a, a fairly, I represent the mom, and, no, I represent the dad, and the mom was represented by a very famous and well-known attorney. Um, and uh, one of the first things that he did was, he told me, you know, we have to have friends and family and relatives show up to court um, so that the judges will know that there are people out there that care about the parents and that care about the family. And uh, on the and I said, okay, you know, I'm, I, I thought that was a great idea, but you know, what was I going to do about it? Because I had never told people to bring people to court um, on the chance that it might have an impact on you know what the judge does. And we went to court. And this is not an exaggeration. There were probably over 200 people there. There were so many people at court for this one family that the sheriffs called a special meeting in the judge's office with us present. Uh, and they claimed that the um, all of these people created a uh, security risk. And... Um, you know, from a sheriff's perspective, I could, I could you know, see that. Uh, but uh, in response, this attorney says to the judge and to the sheriffs, listen, this is a free building. It's a public building. The public can come and go as they want. These people are here. They're all church members. You know, so, I mean, they were all, you know, from the Christian congregation. And it was a local Christian congregation at that. And... Um, you know, and the, the attorney argued that these people had a right to be there. And the judge indicated, well, I'm not going to let them all in court because it's confidential proceedings. And the um, the attorney told the judge, that's okay. They have the right to be here, sitting in the hallway, supporting this family, the mother and father. And we had many hearings in that case. And at every hearing, you know, there was at least 50 or 60 people there. It, it was kind of amazing. Um, and, and at the end of the case, we did have a, a, you know, a good outcome in the case. Now, I don't know if those people being there uh, to remind the judge that uh, they vote and they're members of the community, um, if that had an impact or not. But it, it was an amazing thing to see. You know, usually you're at juvenile court you know, the parents might be there. There might be one or two, maybe three relatives. You know, um, I was just involved in a case where a bunch of relatives came and um, 
you know, everybody was uh, very surprised uh, that this family had people in their lives that cared enough to come to court and that cared enough to find out, you know, who was the judge and what decisions was the judge making because, you know, in the end, judges are answerable, at least state court judges are answerable to the public because they're either reelected or they're voted out or, you know, they're not voted in at all. So I think it was I think it's very important that uh, people come to court and to support uh, support families, support the children, and let the system, the judges and the social workers know that there are people there that care about them, and if things are done unfairly or unjustly, that it's just not going to be, you know, uh, a situation where uh, nobody's going to say anything. I want to remind people, though, that you can't use the child's name. Um, it is confidential under California law, but you can still make a complaint to your um, board of county supervisors. You can still make a complaint to your state legislator, your state senator, uh, the governor of California. And uh, sometimes people do listen. Sometimes people do listen. But I think the more, the more of us that vote in local elections, the more impact we're going to have. So I am going to take a call right now before I go on to the second purpose of the show and tell you what we want to do. It's from area code 712, ending in 78. Good morning. You're on with attorney Vincent Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Good morning. Okay. We'll pass that one. And we'll take another call. Actually, I can't tell where this number is. It has a blocked caller ID. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Good morning. Okay. We'll pass that call as well. I think these are two callers who are just listening. They didn't really want to uh, share a story or ask a question, and that's okay. So going to the secondary purpose of the show, which is to try to educate parents and relatives. I say parents and relatives separately because there are different laws that apply and different things you have to do if you're a parent or a relative. Um, generally what happens, a lot of cases I see, of course, uh, the CPS social workers come out and taking the children away from the parents or parents. The second situation happens when you're a relative and you're trying to get custody of the child. And I'll give you an example of a case that I'm involved with right now. Um, I represent a mother in the juvenile dependency court, and the child was taken out of her custody based upon allegations of domestic violence and uh, substance abuse. Now, just as an aside, I will tell you um, we're fighting those allegations. But in the meantime, this child is placed in a foster home. And one of the things that really bothers my client is that the child who is Caucasian is placed in a, um, what my client describes as a bad area of Los Angeles, um, where there's a lot of, she alleges that there's a lot of crime and criminal activity. I'm from Los Angeles. I grew up in Los Angeles and looking at the map and knowing where this child is placed, I'd have to say that my client is probably accurate. And I don't, you know, I don't want to hope that doesn't sound racial, racially discriminatory, but, you know, it is what it is. And my client actually, who is Caucasian, has to go to the foster home or that area to uh, visit the child at a local McDonald's, which, uh, is quite intimidating for the client. Uh, it's also because the child is placed um, in a different uh, cultural background home 
from what I understand, uh, this young child who's I think five or six, um, it's very intimidating for her at this placement. So um, there is, I think, something in the cold or rule about you know trying to place children, uh, and when they're doing the places placements to be culturally sensitive. Do you think that happens? But it doesn't happen in every case. So allegedly, my client is telling me that the children is the child is being bullied. The child now goes to a school that's all minority versus you know the Caucasian school that she was going to, um, and it's you know you have to wonder how this child really feels. You know, I I've tried to put my shoes in uh, my feet in the child's shoes and imagine um, culturally uh, what a shock this might be. And um, I'm not sure that we're giving the right attention to it, but I digress. Here's the story. The grandfather, the grandfather, the maternal grandfather is a pastor in another state. Uh, He has a congregation. He's been a pastor for several years. He's retired military. I mean, you know, just almost a perfect picture. The social worker here in California refuses to give the child to the grandfather because he lives out of state. Now, so I want to tell all you relatives that are listening, and this is my humble opinion based upon my years of experience as a lawyer over 30 years now, it doesn't matter where the guy lives, especially if he lives out of state and the parents, which in this case they both agree, to have the child placed out of state. Here's the trick of what usually happens. The parents are convinced by the social worker not to place the child out of state with the relative because the social worker tells the parents, and this may be true, by the way, oh, it's going to be hard for you to reunify with the child because you won't be able to visit because the child's out of state. There is some legitimacy to that argument. Not a lot, and I can tell you a lot of things why that's a bad uh, premise, but they get, this, they, get the social, uh, they get the parents to say, yeah, don't place the child in Colorado. Well, what happens is, is as, as the case goes on, um, you know, six months or 12 months down the road, uh, when the children aren't returned to the parents, the relatives might be, how can I put this, out of luck in their attempts to get the child placed with them at the six or 12 month date. So when, so here's the situation. The child could have been placed with the relatives in Colorado at the beginning, but because the parents didn't let that happen, when they aren't able to get the child back six or 12 months down the road, it is argued in court, generally by minor's attorney and the social worker and her, his or her attorney, that the child now has a bond with the foster parents, which could be true, and that it would be detrimental to move the child to the relatives in Colorado. I don't happen to think so, but the way the law is going in California, that's the trend. So grandpa, who could have gotten the child at the very beginning, but the parents decided or were convinced not to send the kid out of state because visitation was going to be difficult, if not impossible, they now have lost this child to the system. And in many cases, that child has ended up being adopted by the foster parents. So what I tell parents, and in this particular case, I tell grandparents, get your butt to California. Let us help you file some things so that you can get this child right now. Because the case is, you know, it's one of those cases where um, the the father's in jail. Uh, It's alleged that mother has some type of uh, substance abuse or domestic violence counseling uh, that she needs to do. 
And whether she does it or doesn't do it, that remains to be seen. But if we don't get this child placed with a relative right now, there's going to be a problem. So initially, this family didn't hire me. The mother didn't hire me because the grandparents, uh, and the grandparents are divorced and they live in two different cities in Colorado, but they were absolutely positive that the social worker was going to do the right thing and send the child to them. And don't forget, both of the parents have told the social worker they don't mind that this child is placed in Colorado. But the child is placed with a very nice foster family here in Los Angeles County where the foster parent wants to adopt the child, wants to keep the child permanently. So, you know, a lot of people say, well, why does that happen? Well, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, I believe it has to do with money. Because in the scheme of things, generally, money follows the child. So as long as the child's here in California, in Los Angeles County, rather, the child's going to be, you know, L.A. County, DCFS is going to get money from the federal government and a little from the state government that's going to allow them to, hmm, for lack of a better word, profit from this situation. However, if the child is goes to um, Colorado, that's not going to be the situation. And social workers here won't have any control, quote-unquote, or, or supervision and review of a child placed in Colorado. We're going to have to ask, actually ask Colorado to supervise the case. And, of course, those Colorado social workers are going to have to be paid for their supervision. But if we don't send the child to Colorado, we don't have to pay them. This grandfather has been turned down several times. And these grandparents are educated people. They've already complained to supervisors at the DCFS office. Nothing's changed. They've complained to the Board of Supervisors. Nothing's changed. They've complained to the head of the Department of Children and Family Services, the head here in Los Angeles County. And to my surprise, I am told that he did respond, but nothing was done. So that child today, as we talk, is still in um, foster care and not with the either grandparent in Colorado. Now let's imagine this child being taken away from the parents. Father's in jail. Mother's not in jail. And uh, we're heading towards a trial on the case. And this child, and it's been weeks, is living in a area that's not culturally sensitive to this child. And that child's there every day, day in, day out. They change the school of the child. What do you think is happening to this child? And the child knows the grandparents, yet the social workers won't place the child with the grandparents. Now, I tell the story, and to people outside of the system, oh, that, that doesn't happen. Family first. That could never happen. And what I'm here to tell you is it happens all the time. All the time. If you're a relative, you better make sure you contact someone like a, an experienced attorney, an attorney in juvenile dependency, you can find them on the internet and get that child placed with you as soon as possible. Don't wait because you will actually, you know, you think you're going to get this child later on. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. I, I just took on a case where I represent some relatives in Sacramento who have a child, have two children placed with them. Well, actually, I take that back. They're not officially placed with them because the social workers want those two children 
to be adopted by the foster parents they lived with in Los Angeles County until a very brave judge in Los Angeles County said, I'm going to place the children with the relative in Sacramento County. Now, I'm not sure if that's happened because I haven't gotten all the information on the case, but I was just told by the client that the social workers are insisting that the children have ongoing visitation with the foster parents, even though the children are placed with relatives in Sacramento, because the social worker and the agency, the Department of Children and Family Services, is still hoping that the children will be adopted by the foster parents. In other words, they're going to find some kind of dirt on these relatives to move this ch- move these children. People, this is not the first time I've seen this happen. I've seen it happen many times over my years in practicing juvenile dependency. And it is happening in this country. And, um, you know, I think, you know, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I think there's some type of law or regulation that unless the family agrees, children aren't supposed to be having ongoing relationships with their foster parents. Now, granted, in some cases, it might be a good thing, but I don't think it's supposed to be happening. Um, And so the relatives in this particular case have hired me to make sure that the children are going to be permanently placed with them and that, you know, they go through the guardianship or the legal adoption process. So never think that common sense is going to win out in these situations. I give this example sometimes, and uh, people, sometimes they get it, sometimes they're offended by it, uh, sometimes they don't get it at all. But here's, here's the example. If a social worker comes to your house, goes into your closet, and finds that secret hiding place on the closet floor, and takes out $10 million and leaves the house with your $10 million, what are you going to do? Well, what you're going to do is you're going to call Johnny Cochran if he was still alive. That's what you're going to do. But when a social worker comes to your house and takes your child or your children, what do you do? Generally, nothing. You go to court, get a court-appointed attorney, and if you're a relative, you don't, you know, you don't even get an attorney because the social worker may be telling you true things, false things, or just wrong things. And um, you hope that, or you know that, things are going to turn out all right for you. And then 12 months down the later, you find out. 12 months down the road, you find out that they didn't turn out all right, and that a foster parent, probably a very nice family, but strangers, are trying to adopt the children. And it's too late for you to step in and get the children back in your care and custody. You have to teach your children like they're worth the $10 million. You gotta talk to an attorney up front. Otherwise, you may lose, lose these children forever. Um, a few years ago, a, a, a relative from Oklahoma, of all places, uh, contacted me to try to get the children or try to get the child uh, placed with them. And these people had flown out to the initial court hearing. In, it was in Riverside County. The court knew of them that they wanted placement. The social workers knew of them and wanted placement. However, the social worker in Riverside decided that the family, the foster family, a young, handsome, professional couple, was a better place than the relatives from Oklahoma. And when the relatives finally hired me, we had a trial um, and the judge ruled that it would be 
not in the child's best interest to place the child with the relatives in Oklahoma. And this was like 18 months down the road from when the child was initially detained. And I think the child was about two or three years old. So that child was adopted by the foster parents and uh, lost to the family. And this is where the social workers knew of the relatives. Not only that, but the social, at some point in the case, the, um, the court ordered what's called an interstate compact, an ICPC, interstate compact for the placement of children um, in Oklahoma. And at the trial, uh, the social worker admitted that she had, even though had been court ordered by the judge in the juvenile court in Riverside County, the social worker admitted that she had delayed the, the paperwork and that it just sit. I think the word she used, it just sat on my desk for weeks or months or something. I forget what she said. Had she moved the paperwork forward, the relatives in Oklahoma would have been approved. Uh, she was a very successful businesswoman. He was the principal of the local high school in Oklahoma. So, you know, how are they not going to pass? And um, pass inspection for the placement of the child. And uh, by the time the ICPC went through, uh, the children, uh, the parental rights had been terminated. The relatives were really not considered relatives, quote unquote, because the parental rights had been terminated and the uh, child was adopted by the foster parents. The one thing I remember my clients telling me was something to the effect of, how could this happen in America? And I couldn't give them an answer. They had shown up before day one, telling the judge and telling the social workers that they wanted the child. But for whatever reason, the social worker here in California, the Riverside social worker, decided that the child was going to be placed and remain and adopted by the foster parents. So the question becomes, how can that happen? I don't know, but it happens all the time. So relatives and parents need to step up early, step up fast, fight to get these children placed with you. Parents are generally uh, given a court-appointed attorney. Relatives are generally not given a court-appointed attorney. And um, so they're going to have to seek representation on their own. Many, many, many years ago, when I first started juvenile dependency, there were some judges that would appoint attorneys that relatives for relatives that came forward to try to get children placed with them. Um, and I think the law was kind of gray on that area. Um, it wasn't until the early 70s, I think, that um, it was ruled by the California Supreme Court that parents were entitled to court-appointed attorneys. Uh, can you imagine going through this without a court, without an attorney? Uh, so having an attorney hasn't always been the law in California. But anyway, so, but today the common practice is relatives don't get attorneys. And there's so much in the code, the Welfare and Institutions Code, that gives relatives protection. Well, how are these, how are these relatives going to exercise that protection if the social workers have their own agenda? Um, I was discussing someone recently, you know, almost at every major hearing, the relatives must be notified via mail by the Department of Children and Family Services. I don't think that's ever done. And the reason why they you have to notify relatives is so that they can come forward. 
you know, and under and we've talked this, about this before on the show. Under Welfare and Institutions Code Section 309, for all the listeners, please please Google that. Just type in WIC 309, read it, and ask yourself: Did the social worker do this on your case? I would bet 95%, and that'll be conservative. I bet 95% of you will say, no, the social worker didn't do that. What 309 says is that the social worker has to go out and find relatives, make a diligent search. Well, they barely have the time or the inclination to work the case and to offer services. They're not going to go out on some hunt to find relatives. And I take that there is an exception for some counties, apparently, like San Francisco. San Francisco actually was sued that they weren't doing this and actually lost. And they actually do that. Um, I did a couple cases in San Francisco. And um, one of the things I learned that they did is they, San Francisco has hired a outside company to find relatives that could possibly take the children. But the other thing that I found out is the script that these people use, this outside company uses, is, hey, your you know, maternal grandfather, uh, there's been a juvenile dependency case started, and blah, 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 blah. You're entitled to have the child, might be entitled to have the child placed with you. But you really don't want that, do you? There's going to be economic problems or financial considerations. You're old, you're retired. You don't really want to do this again, do you? So even though San Francisco, in this particular case, um, went out and found relatives, uh, they didn't really encourage placement of the children with them. Uh, and I can only imagine that this was uh, this kind of script was uh, developed by the county of San Francisco um, social workers to not encourage, I won't say discourage, but not encourage placement with relatives, especially when those relatives were out of state. But in San Francisco, there was actually a report generated um, by this outside company of all the relatives, their addresses and telephone numbers, I think, and the result of the conversation uh, the person had on behalf of the social worker to place the child with the relative. Uh, that's not, I don't know, I haven't been in every county in California, but I've been a lot, in a lot. And, you know, that's the first time I've ever seen something like that. And I thought it was a great idea, except for the fact that they were not, um, the relatives weren't being encouraged to take the children. Because you could be a relative and not only not live in the county where the case is happening, like San Francisco, but you could live out of, uh, you know, you could live in L.A., you could live in any state in the Union, you could live in any country in the world and uh, get a dependent child or a child under the jurisdiction of a juvenile court, get that child placed with you. Um, so you don't have to to live in the same uh, geographical location. On a lot of cases, clients tell me, oh, I have relatives, but none of them live in Los Angeles County. And the social worker told me we can't place the child in Las Vegas, Nevada, or in Mexico, or in Florida. And people, that is not true. That is a false statement of the law, and either the social worker is mistaken or the social worker is intentionally misleading you. I don't know. But it's not the law. So if you got if you have a case in San Francisco County and you got relatives in Riverside County, guess what? They can be placed there easily. If you have a case in San Francisco and you have relatives in Florida, in Dade County where Miami is, there's a whole process that has been set up to place those children in Dade County with a social worker in Dade County. If you have children, a case in San Francisco, and you got relatives in Mexico, guess what? Child can be um, easily placed there. There are Mexican social workers, um, and, they, and it used to be called DIF. I forgot what that stood for. Domestic, I don't know, domestic something federalis. 
and in Mexico, well, they can go out. They will go out and check the family out in Mexico, and if they get a good report, the children have to be placed with their relatives in Mexico. So you ask yourself, what's the problem? And in my humble opinion, the problem is money. Counties are making lots of money off of these children that they detain. Um, right now, I'm going to take a a call. It's area code three two three ending in O seven. Good morning. Did you have a question to ask or a story to share? Good morning, Mr. Benson. Um I have the same question. Um I would like sure. to ask you uh, what can you do when a social worker you you communicated with this social worker by any circumstance, like you need something, a paper that I should need to give to you, and, and she responds that she doesn't have time, but you have to be patient. But at the same time, she's accusing you for something that you didn't do it, like uh, that you say something to your kid when you speak by on the phone. What would be the step that, I, as a parent, you do it at that moment when she's saying things that are not true? Okay. This is what I would do, and it will, of course, depend on what she's saying, but generally what okay. I would advise you to do is I would write an email to the social worker, okay? Because emails, okay. people can't say, oh, you know what? Emails are like, you know, they're digital. They're, you have proof that something was okay. sent. The social, worker can't, okay. the social worker can't later say, you never called me. The social worker can't later okay. say, oh, you know what? I never got that letter you mailed to me or I never got that fax that you sent me. You send it to her email, she's deemed to have received it. And okay. at the same time, I would probably send a copy of it to your attorney so that he or okay. she knows what you're doing. So okay. uh, social workers generally are not supposed to say, hey, I don't have time to deal with your case. In my opinion, that's a big no-no. I think it violates yes, some regulations for social workers. I think it violates the law. I know that because I know you, like, uh, since I started my situation, it's a long story. That's why I don't, I don't share right now because uh, it's a long beginning and too, too long. Um, and I did that. I follow your uh, um, your suggestion, always listening. I always apply what you said. And I asked for the email, which I do have it. But they always say, don't email me. So I can go up and I listen to them and send the email because I have their email. But uh, this is the second social worker that I had, and she's been telling me. She sent an email like that. Many others, she sent it by email, but she said, don't send me anything because I don't want to get in trouble. She already said it. She has communicated with me by phone okay, so or text. <laughs> this is what you do. This is what you do. Yes. You keep emailing her. And then, okay. because in L.A. County, there was, an or, there was an order made in L.A. County. I think it was by the Board of Supervisors. But I, I okay. saw this um, letter that all, all right. social workers required to give the parents their email address. Now, you know, and still some they counties, uh, they, won't, they don't do it. But in L.A., it was ordered that they do it. And why don't they want oh, well, to do it? Well, I'm in L.A. <laughs> So they don't want you to do it because now you actually have proof that you had questions or complaints or that you needed services, and they are now put on notice that they have to give that to you. And if they don't, in some circumstances, you can subsequently sue them, you know, in a court for civil, some type of civil rights violations, or you will have proof that in this particular case, they haven't provided you with family reunification services in order to put your family back together. So what I would do, I, yes. I, I had a client, she's still a client, um, who got the addresses of the social worker, the social worker supervisor, that, a supervisor above that, the deputy, the assistant regional administrator and the regional administrator, and then to the head of the um, DCFS himself. Uh, I forget his name. Ooh. She had a okay. chain of emails going up. And guess what? She got wow. eventually, after many, many emails, 
she got satisfaction. She got mm -hmm. uh, things done on her case uh, that yep. social workers were supposed to have been doing. I think that's what I need to do. Doing. You're right. So that's, what I mean, would, I'm, I'm, that's what I have. Okay. So, yeah, because I'm facing a lot of so problems. You're right. Okay. So I'll email and I'll send it back. I'll not follow what she's saying. That's email. She's right now is just like, like you said, violated everything. She's wanting not to talk in, in the language that my, one of my kids speak. She wants me to speak my natural language, which is Spanish. But I have a, a, a kid who only speaks English. And I'm like, is she able to do that? Tell me what I, what language I need to speak with them when I think that's my right. I mean, but I don't know what to do. I mean, I'm like, I stay quiet, but I, I know you're going to help me because I have to. So I just want to share that, that I'm facing that in, and what else we can do. Thank you so much, Mr. Benton. Thank you for calling. Okay, thank you. Have a good day. So that was an interesting call about getting things done with the social worker. You know, unfortunately, I, I, I would say that the vast majority of social workers, it's not that they don't want to help you, although that sometimes is the case. It's just that they're overworked and underpaid and they don't have time to help you. They're busy putting out fires like other professionals in their business. And there's, Unfortunately, I don't think there's enough social workers to to service all of the families and to do what really needs to be done, um, you know, in situations where people really need a lot of work. Now, this this lady probably has a case. She has a case against or with the Department of Children and Family Services in Los Angeles. And, um, you know, when you get really down in the details, uh, there's probably a lot of services and a lot of things the social worker needs to be doing for this family. And probably this social worker uh, doesn't have the time or the inclination to do it because it's not her only case. And, you know, um, a lot of times I find that this is done uh, because the social worker may not be of you know, I don't know, the right character may be a little bit, as you might imagine, there might be uh, personality disputes and conflicts between the worker and the parents. Or the social worker just doesn't have the time because she's overworked and underpaid, or a little bit of both. You know, who knows? But this is what happens. But that old saying that my grandma used to say, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. So like this last caller, you're going to have to keep calling. You're going to have to keep call, not calling, emailing, because email provides digital proof. It lasts forever. You never lose it. You always got a copy of it. And the great thing about email, that it's automatically date stamped and automatically time stamped. What better evidence that you tried to contract the social worker to get things done? Doesn't mean they're going to do something, but at least you have evidence if it ever comes up in court. Uh, for the last few minutes, I'm going to talk about the third, uh, which is actually the first tier of the purpose of the show. Um, and that's uh, keeping families together and fighting the, the tyranny of CPS workers and DCFS workers. So um, one of the things I used to do many years ago is uh, I used to take on civil rights lawsuits against social workers. In a lot of situations, social workers uh, violate the civil rights of parents and family members. And then for many years, I stopped doing it. And then a couple of years ago, a um, very famous attorney uh, in California calls me up. And I, I, I don't think I was his first choice, to be honest with you. But... Um, he was in a bad situation and um, he was in a trial and he was about to start another trial and he had taken on a case for um, a mother who had lost her kids um, via what he believed was the violation of her and her children's civil rights. And um, he was like, Vince, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to take this case. 
file it, you know, because the statute of limitations was uh, only maybe a couple weeks, two or three weeks away. And, you know, my response was, wait a minute. You don't want to take the case, but you want me to take the case? Because most of these cases are done on a contingency fee basis. And he said to me, oh, you know, it's a really good case, blah, blah, blah. Please do me this favor. I'll assist you. I'll help you in whatever you need. So I did finally, I met the lady and so I, you know, kind of felt, you know, sorry for her. Um, and uh, we took the case. And uh, we ended up working at the case. Um, got what I will call several lucky breaks. A couple of times we had to make our own luck. And we got a great result for the client and her children. As a result of that, I've been getting a lot of calls to do these types of cases. So I have started up again representing people. And uh, we file most of our cases in federal court, civil rights violations against social workers. Um, and now it's getting to the point where people from other counties are, are calling me and asking me to um, you know, do do cases. I, I'm about to uh, file a case for civil rights violations by a social worker against a mother in Sacramento County um, and a couple of other counties we're considering taking cases because some of these things, I mean, I, I, it's, we don't have enough time to talk about each case in, in general, but it's the conduct of the social worker is outrageous. I mean, and I'm not saying all social workers are bad. Please, I'm not saying that. There's a lot of good social workers. There's a lot of social workers that care. But social workers are like people, um, like police. There are a lot of good ones. There are bad ones. And there are some in between. So one of the things that you can do and you should do um, is you should consider uh, if your rights have been violated, and if they have, you should be talk. If you think they have, you sh or if you don't know that they have been violated, you should talk to a competent attorney. Um, and you can Google and find those types of attorneys. So we, at our office, we not only will represent you in trying to get your children back to you in juvenile court, we'll also represent you in federal court if you want to file a lawsuit against social workers for civil rights violations. So you should always consult with an attorney. Most attorneys give those consultations for free, um, and you can find out what type of case you have. Sometimes I talk to people, and they think, you know, they have a multi-million dollar case, and they really don't, but they do have a case. And sometimes I talk to people, and they don't think they really have a case, and it turns out, in my opinion, they have a multi-million dollar case. So you really need to talk to an attorney and figure out, you know, um, how or, or if you really want to be um, pursue the matter. Um, I represented some people in Orange County who I think have a great civil rights case and they really don't want to pursue it. And there's nothing I can do about that. Um, they just don't want to pursue it. They're done. You know, they're tired of the whole court system. They eventually won and their child uh, is with them. Uh, they don't have faith. They don't have that faith in um, in the judicial process. So we have less than a minute left to go, and uh, I hope you, my listeners, like this new format. Um, email me at v at vwdlaw.com if you have any comments about the case, excuse me, about the show, and uh, email me as well if you would like to have some type of consultation regarding your juvenile dependency case, your case in juvenile court, or your civil rights case against a social worker. You can email me at v at vwdlaw.com. You can also call me. Uh, my office is open uh, even today and at 888-888. Leave a message or schedule a consultation over the phone or Skype. So I'll talk to everyone next Saturday. We'll see you on the radio. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.